Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. On this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, I get to speak with Amy Baxter. I'm going to emphasize the name because I realized... Uh, after the fact that I misspoke uh, some point in the podcast, but Amy Baxter is the CEO and founder at Pain Care Labs. You can check out more about her invention. Really cool, yet simple product to help with pain management, paincarelabs.com, all one word. Uh, I really think it's cool. I'm, I've been blessed through my career to have the opportunity to work with a lot of physician inventors who have really cool, awesome product ideas in the medical device space. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And uh, it's, it's always fun to kind of have the, the prep before we hit the record button, uh, try to get the levity going. And you know, Amy uh, Baxter uh, did just that for me today. She got me laughing this morning. So joining me is Amy Baxter with Pain Care Labs, the Chief Medical Officer and, and CEO. So Amy, welcome. Thank you so much, John. Uh, delightful to be here and to have our pre-warm-up session. Yeah, exactly. It's like, get get in the game. Let's get ready to go. Now, I'm pre-coffee, so I'm going to pour some coffee here in a moment. So hopefully I'm able to speak in complete sentences, but so far I seem to be doing just fine. But uh, um, what I was hoping we could talk about today is that you're a physician. You're an inventor, uh, an inventor of a medical product. And uh, I've worked with physician inventors in my career, and there's there's some nuances to that. Um, and I thought maybe you could share some of your experiences, uh, the ups and downs, the, the the good, the bad, the ugly, that sort of thing. Well, at least you started with good, because I think when people think physician, entrepreneur, inventors, they go ugly, bad, good in that order. No, I think it's, I mean, my experience is all, it's all been really very positive. Um, I mean, what I've learned from working with physicians is you you have a problem that you're faced with in a patient scenario that you're trying to be inventive to come up with a way to address that problem. Uh, I mean, I've had plenty of prototypes handed to me from, from a doctor that, uh, well, they were pretty creative, you know, as far as how things were taped and glued and snapped together, but it, it worked, you know, and it's like, you know, but it wasn't something that could, they could do on scale. Yeah, uh, I think the, the great thing about physicians and physician inventors is first of all, that we think very three-dimensionally. So despite the fact that the medical world works on two-dimensional pharmaceutical schematics, um, doctors' minds work on three dimensions. So we see the whole body, we see the whole person, we see the, the need, and it makes it easier for us. We're also familiar with all of the different parts of medical accoutrement and the plastic bits and the the nubs and hubs and lure locks. And so we have a feel for what kind of Legos we have at our disposal that are already sterile that we can put together. So the great thing is that we visualize what we need in three dimensions. We see the stuff that's around the hospital that we can use to put it together. I think that the, the downside of being a physician inventor is that we both feel like we know everything. And so it's hard to 
come into the world of ISO 13485 and come into the world of um, really painstaking medical device development and not get frustrated. And also it's hard for physician inventors not to um, get frustrated while they're waiting for this device to be able to be used when they can see the utility and they've already proven to themselves that it's effective. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with that part too. I mean, I, I think the, the layperson um, in the med, med device industry doesn't appreciate or really have an, a knowledge or understanding or, or tolerance sometimes of, of that process. You know, it's like, I, I built it. Look, I got a prototype. Just make it better and give it to me tomorrow, uh, which technically I could probably do. However, you know, to your point, there's all sorts of other things that that, that product has to go through in, in order to get to that point where I can give it to you and you can use it on, on the everyday basis. All right. Well, the good part is that that wanting to be able to do something is really the the push that puts a lot of physicians into the entrepreneurial space. So when I first started with the device for blocking needle pain, I was actually in the emergency department carrying around my little kludgy device that had been, uh, you know, duct taped together. And I knew that I couldn't use it, but that was where this uh, cognitive dissonance was. You know, I could use it for my kids. I could use it for their injections, but I would have to go through a lot to be able to, to whip it out and use it in the emergency room. And so that balance of, yeah, this would work, but I know that this can't be used in this context without an awful lot of regulatory kind of, right. um, and production support and everything else that goes along with it. Right. Do you mind maybe talking a little bit about your, uh, your aha moment when, when you came up with, uh, the idea and, and you talked about carrying around, you know, the, the, an early version, uh, real early version around the hospital and, and things of that nature. Maybe talk a little bit about your experience, because I think your experience, I, I don't honestly, I don't know how many physician inventors are listening. I hope there are some. <laughs> um, uh, but certainly I think the, the, the journey that you went through is also applicable to a startup uh, that maybe has not gone through the medical device process before. I've talked with plenty of people who are doing that 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 are equally um, frustrated at times. Is probably a good way to describe it. So maybe just elaborate a little bit on your journey and, and sure, then we'll sure. talk. Well, to yeah. contextualize it, what we're doing is mechanical stimulation to block pain. And when we first started, it was because I wanted to find a fast way that parents could block the pain of their kids' vaccinations. So we're using a really specific frequency that is sort of a noise canceling headphones for pain. And it's been 15 years. Uh, so I can tell you that on August 4th, 2004, trying to think about ways to overcome the pain sensation. And so I'd been for maybe a year or two thinking about like you rub your bumped elbow or you bang your hand with a hammer and you shake it, or more to the point, you burn your finger and you stick it under cold water. And so long as the cold water is running, then the burn pain goes away. So the aha moment after noodling for two years on how do you make the sensation of motion to block pain, the aha moment was driving home in the morning from an overnight shift. And my hands were on our steering wheel, which was vibrating because we hadn't gotten the tires balanced in forever. And when I reached for the door of my house, my hand was numb. 
And so it just clicked that you don't need running water, which was very messy and didn't work. You don't need a rubbing thing, which is difficult to pull off mechanically. All you need is vibration. Mm -hmm. Wasn't exactly right. I ran into the house. Um, I had three little kids. And so they glom on to me before I go to bed after my overnight. And so I said, hey, 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 get the Wardenberg wheel, which is this thing that you use in neurology with sort of like a pizza cutter, but with pokey, with the yeah. needles coming out. Yeah, of it. yeah sure. Sure. But sure. Like you have, like you do. So, um, so I got that out and, and we had a TurboFlex 4000 massager <laughs> that I got off some homeless entrepreneur who was selling them when I was in residency. All right. TMI, but I put the vibration on, I did the Wardenberg wheel on the kid's hands and they could still feel it. So I was like, all right, forget it. It didn't work. I'm going to bed. My husband's a boy scout. And he said, well, in the scouts, we use frozen peas. So what if you combine frozen peas and the vibration? So put a bag of frozen peas, put the turbo flex on top of it. And those two sensations together blocked pain enough that on my three-year-old and one-year-old, I could leave marks on their fingers, on their hand, like where you would do an IV, and they couldn't feel it. So... I was never going to be mother of the year because I leave marks on my children and now I tell people about it. Uh, but from that, August, so it was big. It was a big enough deal. It's like you know, hairs standing up and goosebumps, and it's like this blocked pain on a child. And so we did a video of it, you know, recreation of the moment. Um, and then I went to bed. And from that, it took two years to get patents filed, three years to get an SBIR two years to get them made and launched in 2009, went on Shark Tank in 2014, didn't quit practicing medicine until 2016 because my colleague used the device to block pain from a total knee um, arthroplasty oh, without wow. using any opioids because he was in recovery. So that is the, the time duration of the journey. But to tell a physician that, they won't believe you. Well, a, a couple of things. Well, first a question. Um, uh, how is the then three-year-old uh, doing now? Uh, is he, he or she, <laughs> do, they, do, do they remember that moment? Uh, they don't remember that moment, <laughs> but they certainly, the all three of them are now over any degree of needle fear they had. Part of the SBIR that I got from the NIH, um, NICHD, shout out to Eunice Schreiber, but part of what I got helped me understand why children are afraid of needles and grow up afraid of needles. It's a totally new thing. I testified before the Department of Health and Human Services a couple of weeks ago on adult needle phobia, which came from that research. And bottom line is we're now, since 1982, we're giving four to six-year-olds boosters so they can remember, they can be traumatized, and then they stay afraid of needles. So my kids now are all in college or graduated they are fine and they certainly feel very empowered to address uh, both needle pain, but also any kind of pain. It's really nice that they are able to deal with their volleyball elbow and report back on how it worked for them. All right. And then the, um, I know the journey has been long. Um, and, and at times though, I'm, uh, well, always I'm a fan of serendipity. Uh, uh, things have to happen in a certain reason. Uh, you know, maybe, I mean, the opioid crisis, that was a really interesting angle on that. I hadn't really thought about that so much, but you're right. I mean, so many, so many procedures, uh, the, the, uh, post, uh, recovery time is, 
involves, you know, a lot of opioid therapy. And, you know, no wonder there's such a huge addiction problem uh, in this country right now. So that was, that's awesome that, that your colleague was able to use the product and not have to take the painkillers. That's, that's huge. It, it, it really is huge. I think that one of the reasons ironically why, why our process is taking a long time is because mechanical stimulation is disruptive. And there is this um, discrepancy between if you have a very finite solution, like a, an arterial filter or a better tip blade of a laryngoscope, something like that is actually much faster to get into circulation because it's a very finite solution. It's very obvious improvement over a previous right. problem. Whereas when you, when you actually have a new type of <clears throat> concept technology, particularly because the research around blocking nerves and really understanding how gate control works, most of that's published in the last five years. So, so incorporating a whole bunch of different ways that you can use a technology makes it take a lot longer to get it accepted and to get it out into circulation. Yeah. And, and I have to imagine too, something like pain management, it's, uh, it's very esoteric and subjective, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, one of the things that I have loved learning along this journey is little you know, aphorisms people say about uh, your product or being a manufacturer or whatever. And I love the idea of fall in love with your problem. Don't fall in love with your solution. Yeah. Because for me, my solution was for vaccination and needle pain and needle fear. Uh, and the problem actually was pain. And had I fallen in love with pain earlier, then I would have been more open to the idea that our solution was actually much more appropriate for the, the issue of opioids, the issue of pain management, the issue yeah. of, of specific things that cause suffering rather than one particular utility that's a really narrow part of someone's life. Yeah. Uh, I, I've worked... Um... I think I shared when we spoke before that, that I used to work as a product development engineer <clears throat> and I work with anesthesiologists and, and emergency physicians and surgeons and that sort of thing. Um, I don't remember the, who brought this idea. Um, and I don't, then it was so long ago and I don't think I'm sharing any proprietary trade secrets, but, um, the I, the concept was to try to develop a catheter type solution that would be placed, um, you know, basically along an, an incision post surgery, um, and it, essentially the first prototype that I came up with. Do you um, do you know the the garden soaker hoses? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh sure, I've got kids. Yeah. yeah. So the. You know, just the water just kind of oozes out of it. Oh, like, oh, the little, oh, the, oh, the drip irrigation kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. And, and so that was my first thought is like, well, if we could put something like that along the, the incision, it just kind of oozes out. Um, like an on cue or something with lidocaine uh, yeah. delivery yeah. for pain management right. afterwards? Yeah. But still, I mean, I, you know, it was kind of cool to think about, but, uh, uh, really difficult to measure, you know, and, and, and to demonstrate. Uh, plus then again, you're still delivering s some sort of one of the canes to the people, you know, and it's like, uh, I don't know. It just, it just seemed like a, a bad way to go, but pain is a real issue. 
Uh, so what was your aha moment when you finally realized that's, that's the problem that you need to be chasing? I was very deaf to it for a while. We had people or people use our device for in vitro fertilization. They use it for, um, arthritis injections. A lot of the ones that are really painful. So the, the Humira or Enbrel or the infusions, things like that. And so the initial product we had was this little, you know, cute B shape for kids. And so when people were doing that, they were like, you know, actually we use it on our hip and actually we use it on the shoulder. And actually, you know, we've really, it's been very effective for, for uh, the elbow soreness. And I was like, oh, that's nice, but it didn't go anywhere until my colleague confided that he'd been in opioid recovery for 20 years and had been putting off getting a TKA for three years and asked whether or not he could use it. And so I asked him to, I made data sheets. I was like, great, why don't you do your PT with and without? And here's some data sheets. And afterwards he said, I'm so sorry. I said, it didn't work. And he said, no, 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 no. I just, I couldn't take it off. I didn't do it. You don't have any, any, I can tell you it works. Control data. (laughs) But I got no data for you. So that was the, that was in actually 2015. So I had to give notice of my Clinical practice at that point was doing mostly procedural sedation, so lots of ketamine, propofol, fentanyl, and gave notice three months later, went full-time. And so we developed a, a better embodiment with a compression strap, bigger ice packs, you know, so that yeah. you could put it around. So it really is, and then I broke then I broke my neck. And so then I made one for my shoulder and neck pain. But the the moment was really him telling me it worked. And it was that same sort of cognitive dissonance that I'd felt at the beginning is I'm going to have to disrupt my normal practice if I decide to invest the time to do this. And when he said, you know, when he had that, it was that same anxiety of, I can't know this and keep practicing medicine normally. I need to commit and really be all in for this. Right. All right. So I want to take a brief break. Uh, and, and when we come back, Amy, we'll talk a little bit about tips, pointers, uh, etc. for inventors that are out there. But uh, while we're taking this break, t- tell folks a little bit about Pain Care Labs. I mean, obviously, you've shared a couple of uh, the early version and, and a, a more recent version, but talk a little bit more about some of your products and where people can find out more about your, your products and services. Sure. Well, paincarelabs.com is our website. We do have a shop that is affiliated with it that has Buzzy, which is the needle pain IV uh, any of the models we have for healthcare use or for home care use for injections. And then VibraCool is the line for knees, elbows, plantar fasciitis. So we have four different VibraCool devices that are all in the $80 range or lower. And we are introducing on this show, I'm going to show you our new VibraCool Pro, which is for post-surgical pain that we're testing now. And when we come back, I also have a surprise for you that Uh I brought. Well, I, I can't wait. So, um, but you know, pain's a real problem, you know, and I've, I've talked to so many people, uh, inventors, sufferers, uh, et cetera, throughout the years that are, that want a solution for all these sorts of things. So I really, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we got connected. I have to thank uh, Dwayne Mancini for, from Project MedTech. Folks, that's another great podcast to listen to, by the way, Project MedTech. Go check it out. I think he's on Spotify and iTunes. Um, but he made the connection and, and, uh, we had a 
chance to chat and I, was, I felt like I was uh, talking to like a, a star because of your Shark Tank experience, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm curious about. I don't know if we'll get to it on, on, uh, on air today, but um, anyway, so I uh, want to remind folks to Greenlight Guru, we're here to help. Uh, we work with uh, entrepreneurs and inventors all day, every day. We have solutions to help you manage your design control activities. If you don't know that, what that is and you're an inventor, uh, you probably should call us uh, because that's really important from a medical device perspective. We also have workflows to help you manage risk through the entire process. Again, if you don't know why that's important, uh, there's a reason. Uh, we'll explain it to you happily, uh, but, but all of our solutions align with uh, medical device regulations and requirements. So FDA 820, ISO 13485, ISO 14971. Part 11, EUMDR, I can go on and on and on, but hopefully you get the point. If you're interested in learning how we might be able to help you, and you don't have to be an inventor, you can just be designing a, a medical device uh, or, or working with products that are already on the market. Either way, we're a medical device success platform. Go to www.greenlight.guru. We'd be happy to have a conversation to understand what your challenges are and see if we might have solutions that can help address those. All right, so... Um, Let's get back to the conversation. So, Amy, like tips and pointers or advice that you may have for, um, you know, a, a, a physician colleague that's got an idea. What what should they do, and when should they do it, and what shouldn't they do, and that sort of thing. What what are your life lessons, I guess, through this journey that you can share? Yeah, not to suck up too hard, but one of the most important things is to find a group like Greenlight Guru. Or in Atlanta, we use GCMI. Yeah, they're and, great. Yeah, yeah, I love GCMI. They're a customer of ours, actually. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Tiffany Wilson is one of yeah. the... She's now in uh, Philadelphia at the Science yeah. Center and CEO there. But but super good friend. And just understanding how to navigate early is a really important part. And universally, I think, advice for a physician is that it's going to be so much more complicated and requires so much more thought up front than you think it is because all of us are ready to go especially if you're an emergency doctor or an orthopedic yeah. surgeon where you're used to playing with tools and having mechanical things you're like well, i don't see the barrier here i got this thing it fits here let's go to town and the process for medical devices is much more complicated having a strategy for regulatory having a strategy for reimbursement having a strategy for market channel having an understanding of channel knowing how things are sold in different areas all of that stuff um, even 15 15 years in we one of the reasons that we are morphing our vibracool to a a vibracool pro and that we also have branded this mechanical oscillatory stimulation therapy is realizing that mstem is a concept that we needed to brand and branding matters. And the other thing is that having a, a, a device that has two different forms of the, the stereotactic mechanical stimulation delivery makes it more likely to be able to be covered by Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, just like a four lead TENS can be covered rather than a two lead TENS. So even though our single unit is 3.4 times better than a TENS unit for pain, it's harder to get it covered if it's already on the market for consumers. So right. that, I mean, the, there's just all this inside baseball stuff. Having a native guide is a really good way to start. So that's the first thing I would say. And I think the second big piece of advice is don't get hung up on NDAs. 
because nobody steals an idea. They steal. Non-disclosure, non-disclosure agreement. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Whole new set of acronyms I have learned. Yeah. We've got uh, too many TLAs. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the, it. The three-letter acronyms are different ones than we use in uh, in medicine. But yeah. that's one of the big things is that so many people are so sure that they've got this amazing idea and they don't want to tell anybody because just telling the idea is going to make someone so much money that they will be on a beach with little umbrella drinks for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I have a, sorry, I'll, I'll just chime in. I had a story um, I, about that. Like I was working with an ER uh, physician. I had an, uh, kind of a, a, an idea, you know, and I, I don't know that it was patentable per se, but uh, nonetheless, we, we were able to come up with a, a pretty quick solution. And I don't know, it, it got ugly. And I'm just like, I just got to the point where I'm just like, you know, this is not, this is not worth it for me. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to help you, uh, but you're turning it into something. I'm trying to steal your, your idea. Right. Which was unfortunate yeah. because it was a really simple thing. You know, hopefully he turned it into something. I, let's just hope that's what happened. But yeah. you're at it. people want to help. I'm an engineer. I, I like to solve problems, you know. I, yeah. I'm not going to go off and do a patent uh, on your idea. I'm going to try to see what I can do if, to share my experience to help you along that journey. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, in some ways, I think it's kind of our hit the lotto culture. Everyone has seen or heard of someone. And so this availability heuristic, you have this, this concept because you can think of that person that did it and got super rich. And so everyone thinks that their idea is so good on its own that it's worth something. And aside from perhaps Michael Crichton selling the idea of DNA and amber for Jurassic Park for a million bucks, there are very few ideas right. in products that are worth it. Now, this doesn't mean go to your buddy who works at at J&J or your buddy who works at Zimmer Biomet and tell them the idea, but somebody who's in your position, somebody who's a, another physician entrepreneur, don't getting hung up on NDAs just makes you harder to work with and harder to get advice and people want to help. Right. And I, and I think that last bit is important too. I was, I was going to offer, uh, if you're, if you are an inventor, I mean, you may see, uh, you may say, Oh, well my product fits in, in the portfolio of, of J and J or Medtronic or Boston scientific, you know, these giant monolithic companies. And it's true. It may fit in their portfolio. Um, and I think a lot, what a lot of people want is an audience with those companies. And my advice to you is that's not the company you want the audience with. You want the the audience with with the you know the 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 scrappy you know maybe a little bit beyond startup, but somebody's hungry that's going to you know work hard for you and be accessible to you and and you know give you your you know their heart and soul and passion uh, along with yours. You know if you work with one of the larger companies, great companies. Uh, but you know, they're, they're not going to be as passionate about uh, seeing your product through the journey as, as maybe somebody like you or me, or maybe, you know, another design firm or something of that nature. So choose wisely. And if you need some help on, uh, advice on, on who and how to choose, I'd be happy to chat with you. Uh, I know lots of folks who work in this space, you know, sometimes they're, they're, uh, they blend into the woodwork. They're not obvious. Sometimes they might be your next door neighbor, the mechanic, you know, there, there's lots yeah. of ways. So find those people. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I remember there was a moment when I was spray painting some fuzzy prototypes out in front of our house 
for a clinical trial that we'd gotten funding from from the Mayday Foundation. And so they do work in pain relief. They're in New York. Shout out to Christine Spellman. Uh, but we got some funding and so <laughs> not much funding. I'm spray painting prototypes, but yeah, uh-huh. my neighbor who is, was a Michigan grad, Jerry Freeman's there and he's like, um, oh, this is great. You know, and I said, yeah, you know, next year we'll be on a beach drinking umbrella drinks. And he's like, well, the usual time to exit is between seven and nine years. <laughs> and I said, well, this is going to be so much faster. This is <laughs> such a good idea. Um, and that was 12 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> What you know, one thing you said, John, that I think is really important that people don't get that ties into my idea of fall in love with your problem, not your solution. If you're outside medical device systems, you may not understand how your idea fits into what a company needs. And you also probably don't understand how to show this thing so that people can see what the value is. So our device and technology is a perfect example. The it was probably a mistake to make it for kids, um, or at least to to make the design for kids because it conflated what's actually a very sophisticated physiologic technology into a toy or a distraction. But right. the other part is not really seeing where it fits into the spectrum of where we fit best. So figuring out what your thing does best. So you know, we threw a lot of spaghetti at the wall of, of athletes and runners and, you know, plantar right. fasciitis, and it does those things well. But the time that all of us on our team use it is when we really hurt, when we've got a pinched nerve in the middle of the night, with, when we've, um, one of our team members had her kneecap, uh, her patellar dislocated because she tripped over a ball her kid threw at her. You know, that kind of intense pain is where we're best. And so trying to then see, okay, people that are in the intense pain business, what solutions are they using now? And how do you frame this so that an MSTEM platform looks like the kind of intense pain relief that these guys are looking for? So that 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 packaging, branding, channel understanding is never something that a physician is going to get right out of the chute. For sure. Yeah. And, and folks, if you're out there with an idea, uh, I'll talk to anybody. Because uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I love working with entrepreneurs and inventors. I think mean, startups, are, it's, a, it's a, a passion of mine. And, and uh, you know, if you have an idea, I mean, be forewarned. Um, I've been known as the, the dream killer at times too. So, um, you know, sometimes I'm like that, there's not a need for that or, you know, that, that sucks. I probably won't be that harsh the first time that, that I talk to you, but I'll give you an honest opinion. Uh, and it's my opinion. Um, you, you may find somebody else that has a different opinion. If you don't want my opinion, that's cool. My advice to you though, is get outside your circle a little bit. Like if I go ask my mom about something that I did or an idea that I had, she's going to say, it's amazing. She's my mother. Uh, you know, so uh, get outside your circle. Get some talk to somebody that's going to be objective. Uh, they're going to tell you the truth. Those are those are people that are really important. If you have an idea, it's going to hurt if they're going to tell you something that you don't want to hear. But but you should go outside of your circle to get some feedback. That's so funny. I tell people the same thing. I say try your idea out on someone who does not love you. Now it hurts less if somebody who doesn't love you thinks it's a stupid idea, but. Try your idea out on somebody who doesn't love you. Yeah. And, and if you go to a professional and they don't think it's a good idea, accept, maybe go to two, but accept that because you know, this 
this is 12 years of working on something. Um, and that's Raising 12 capital. years after Making the idea and the funding was already yeah. in place. Yeah. So yeah, talk about- yeah. So, all right. Well, so then I'm going to ask your opinion, John. Here, I've got yeah. you. Uh, so what channel or what part of a medical device company would I show our technology to? And at what point? Well, that's, so, you know, the, usually these types of things are handled by, um, within larger companies, the function called business development. Usually there's a, a discipline or somebody that's in that or a group of people that are sort of in that uh, capacity. Um, you know, some companies will also have business units and, and business unit leaders. Uh, I would say some of the more progressive companies uh, in the industry, they are, they realize, oh, we make medical devices. Physicians use medical devices. Let's tap into that. Let's, let's, let's figure out how to be symbiotic with, within that ecosystem. Um, you know, some of my previous employers, we worked with physician inventors all the time. I mean, uh, you look through their portfolio products and it was, you know, doctor this, doctor that, doctor that. That was the, the, the physician's name became part of the product uh, almost as a way to not memorialize, but symbolize their contribution, right? So are you saying <laughs> that maybe... Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> this is my surprise for you. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that one. Oh wow, that that that's a that takes me way back. Uh, if anybody's listening, what you're seeing is a Melker emergency cricothyroidotomy catheter set that I have in my closet in my bathroom because you do. And um, yeah, so Cook's catheter system that you worked on. Yeah, so uh, uh, interesting. So a cri kit for for those that don't know uh, what that is, basically it's an emergency airway. Uh, we all have probably heard these stories or seen the. The movies where, you know, there's an airplane, uh, there's a flight, and somebody's choking on an M&M or a peanut and, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, mash, mash, when Radar O'Reilly jams the ballpoint pin. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So yeah. Essentially, that's what a crack is. I mean, it's a little more elegant than that, but more or less, that's, that conceptually, that'll give you the idea. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the uh, Melker, uh, Richard Melker, Dr. Melker, fascinating man. Uh, physician inventor, pro- prolific physician inventor. I, I don't know what he's doing today. Uh, reminds me that I, that I might want to reach out to him. But he has had so many ideas, started so many companies. But that's a little unusual. Uh, you know, he has a passion for that. You know, um, you know, others out there listening, you may have, you may be passionate about your idea. Follow Amy's advice. Be passionate about the solution. Or solving the problem, don't fall. In love. What was your saying again? I'm butchering it all to hell. <laughs> fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Fall in love with the problem, not the solution. So because if you fall in love with the problem, you'll find you'll you'll iterate better solutions. But if you get stuck with your one solution, then you're searching for a problem to put it on. So instead, sure. if you know, like for for me, I ended up having getting to learn an enormous amount of pain physiology. And that's where the innovation comes is once you really understand what's happening in the body, then with that problem, then you're like, Oh, okay. So if we stimulate this particular nerve, then it's the nerve cancel. Then it's the pain canceling uh, headphones type analogy. You know, it's the, but the reason that tens units aren't working is because you're not stimulating the right nerve and the right frequency, but you really got to dig into the understanding the problem so that you can get to that level of sophistication with your solution. Yeah, um, but yeah. Although a crike is kind of a tube, so there's not as much, to it, but 
Oh, yeah. Not, well, not to diss Mr. Or Dr. Melker at all, because um, having a credit to the kit is very uh, comforting. Yeah. So there's a the one the one of the ones I worked on. Uh, there's a, a newer version of that. It has a balloon cuff on the on the. So it looks oh, more like a trach tube than a cripe. Yeah. And and so that was the there's a, an, another version that's that's beyond or newer than that. And they might have something. I haven't been a cook and. A long time, so uh, they might have something else yet still. But that's one of those things that's really interesting because you, you hope you never. I mean, how many how many people have you criked? Probably zero or close to zero, right? I have been present at two crikes, but I have not. I mean, intubated plenty, but never had to do the crike. So it's like insurance, really. Oh yeah, no, no, it's it's total <laughs> emotional security. It really is funny. It's like because every emergency doctor thinks about these kinds of situations. It's like, all right, so what's the worst that can happen? And, you know, if somebody starts choking, you start thinking about where's my nearest sharp object? Where's my nearest tube-shaped thing? Am right. I going to go big pin Radar O'Reilly on this guy? Or, you know, you just start you just start getting ready just in case yeah. you get called on to do it. So when you've actually got a crate kit, then, then that takes all of the, um, how do we MacGyver this thing out of the equation? Then it's just like, oh yeah, I got a crate kit up in my bathroom. Well, yeah. I'll just go run and get that. My my short story about Dr. Melker, first experience with Dr. Melker. Um, so when I started at Cook in the critical care division, uh, my boss, uh, he, he would always send engineers to a uh, anesthesia course at Shands Hospital at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And it's like a week-long course. So I went down there with, with uh, a colleague, uh, you know, the... I'm a brand new kid right out of school, an engineer, you know, been on the job maybe a couple of months. But so go down to, to Shan's hospital and you know, we've got to figure out how to navigate to, you know, this course is here and this course is, you know, over here. And, you know, they're right across the wall from each other. But you know how hospitals are designed. You got to go down, over, up, cross, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's literally a maze. But we're trying to get to this um, cadaver lab. Uh, where there's a, a cricothoronomy workshop for med students, and you know we are going to participate in this thing, and, and it's we're trying to figure out where is this. Of course, you know they keep the dead people. Um, sorry, it's morbid, but they keep the dead people in the basement of the of the hospital. You know, in the morgue. You know, so um, eventually somebody helps us. We we find you know the room where this uh, cricothoronomy workshop is is happening. And, and mind you, these are donor bodies. They keep the dead yeah. bed in a morgue in a different place. Yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Just go uh, randomly go get somebody. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. These are people They're who... They're not going to care. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we, we finally come in, but the, 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 the mini course is already a few minutes underway, and the person leading the discussion has a few different cricotheronomy kits. And uh, I don't... We're, there was one called this and one called that, but one of them was called the milker. And so he's teaching how to use all of these different credit kits to med students. And my colleague and I, we had the opportunity to, to do this. You know, first, I didn't even have time to process. Oh, my God, there's a cadaver. But anyway, um, so we're practicing and using this. And, and uh, you know, he's, during the, the demonstration, he says, oh, well, my personal favorite of the three options is the milk or crack of thoracotomy kit. Okay. So... We had to, the course is over or the demonstration was over and we had to go to the next thing somewhere else in the hospital. So we, 
we found a med student who was willing to show us. And as we're walking through the, the halls, we're like, oh, by the way, who was the, the doctor doing the demonstration? She goes, oh, that was Dr. Richard Melker. I'm like, oh, well, it makes sense. <laughs> but anyway, the reason he liked the Melker, uh, and this is, this is inside baseball, is it uses this Seldinger technique. And you know the Seldinger technique all day, every day. Uh, and if you're in an emergency situation, you don't want to figure out some uh, uh, gadget and how it works. You know it's got needle. The Seldinger technique is just shoving a wire into where you want it to go to make sure that you've got clearance. And then once you shove the wire in where it goes and you know it's clear, then you can put a bigger, fatter thing over it and you've got a native guide yeah. already stuck in it. Right. More or less, yeah. Needle, guide wire. Uh, okay, you know, just... just uh, for you, for you, for those listening at home. Um, so, out of curiosity, did you have at some point that night after your first cadaver experience, did you have um, just shakes or or weirdness of having to confront your mortality because you had been touching somebody who was dead? I didn't. No, no. I was fascinated by it. I, and and you know, my journey into med device um, completely accident not accidental, but it wasn't by design. Uh, I have a chemical engineering degree. Uh, and when I was in school, um, I, you know, I took a couple biomedical engineering electives. Uh, truth is the the biomedical engineering professor uh, that was teaching these classes, pretty easy way to get an A. And let's just say <laughs> I, I needed a couple of those in school. Um, but anyway, so, um, but I never thought about entering that as a career. Uh, but as I was, you know, in my senior year, my options as a chemical engineer were to go work in an oil for an oil company in West Texas. And I had been West Texas and I was like, it smells like, well, cows mostly because there's so many cattle there. Or the other option was to work at a potato chip factory in Iowa. I don't like potato chips. So it's like, well, I don't really want to do either of those, but I had friends that had uh, interviewed and had jobs with cook and they're like, well, they're hiring more people. So I interviewed and, and got a job. But my first, and, but that's really what it was. Um, about a year, year and a half in, um, I had, I, I think I told you this before, I developed an introducer, designed an introducer, double lumen introducer for, yeah. for cardiac uh, output, you know, and I was present the first time that was used clinically. And I realized that this is not a cadaver. This is a live person. Uh, and that person wants to be alive when they leave here. And that was my uh, epiphany, aha, that, uh, Wow, what I do really matters. matters. Um, yeah. Good or bad, hopefully good, but but you know, improving the quality of life became sort of my north star at that point. Yeah, yeah. Most of the people that I know in medicine had one night after being really, really? intimately involved with their cadavers, um, or or somebody else's cadaver, but um, you know, that just of of realizing that you are holding life in your hands. And ironically, it was by holding death in your hands that you realized that uh, your barrier to normal interaction with physical bodies is different from everyone else's. And that that is a similar kind of thing. We don't tend to get imposter syndrome the same way that other fields do because we spend 12 years getting to the place where yeah. we're very comfortable taking responsibility for someone's life with every decision or prescription or anything else yeah. we do. But I think that there that, that for many of us, it's the, it's the physical boundaries yeah. that are such a change. And I think that's one of the reasons why early on, why physicians have a hard time 
having empathy for anyone who fears needles because a needle is one of the least invasive things that we do to people's bodies. And we don't go into medicine if it bothers us. So it's, it's um, this, there, there is a disconnect, but I think it really, you start becoming in a different um, approach to humanity when you first are holding that, that cadaver's body. This gave me chills when you, when you were talking about that. So that's, that's super impactful. So Amy, at, at a point where uh, it's good to start putting a wrapper on this uh, particular episode, any last minute tips, pointers, uh, advice, uh, do's, don'ts that you want to share to the listening audience? I think I wanted to just selfishly say a little bit about how excited I am about this understanding of pain and pain management. And I really believe that the future of pain management in the next probably five years is that there are going to be multiple specific energy devices that people have in their medicine cabinets that people use before and after surgery. I do think that mechanical stimulation is going to be the the primary one because it's the easiest to use. It's the safe, safe with pacemakers. It's something that anybody can put on and there's no ambiguity, you know, it's helping or it's not. And so, so I think that that's something that's really exciting. And so I'm very grateful to you for giving me the opportunity to, to talk about a new platform and also to, to talk some about the things that I would have done differently. I think the only other thing I would say is I really do believe now that I'm, I'm sitting on scientific review panels that NIH, SBIR and STTR funding is a fantastic way to get up to speed with your company quickly because all of the aspects that you need to do for these grants, which are you know one to five million, um, they're enough to get your idea really off the ground and started, but it applies the rigor and it gives you an understanding of what kind of design controls you're going to need, what kind of commercialization plan you need. And so it's a, a, a good way to understand and to get the discipline for your new device if you decide to go that way and get some funding on the backside of it. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I, I love the, the bit about pain management. Like we, we have to do something differently. I mean, uh, as a society, we've, we've become so conditioned to just pop in a little pill in our mouth. And, and, but it's, it's, not, it's not healthy, you know, and that's, that pill leads to other pills and, and, and that sort of thing and other, you know, uh, downstream modalities and, and issues. Yeah. We're, we're actually working on a campaign for kids with Buzzy to say, um, choose bugs, not drugs. So we have our uh, lady buzz and our right. Buzzy. And so, because again, this is from the, for the people who have one in their house, they tell us that if their kid bangs their hand, their elbow or their kid gets stung by a bee, they now go run and get buzzy because they know that it blocks the pain. So right. how much better just to, to make a cute little thing to put around. So for every boo-boo, you've got this supercharged boo-boo bunny that is yeah. helping kids learn not to go for a pill, but to go for a physical solution. Yeah. My, uh, my best friend, when her girls were younger, she, um, she had this, I, I think it was supposed to be, but it was like a little ice pack that was kind of shaped like a pig. Um, uh, it was tiny. Um, and she'd always say, go, go get the boo-boo pig. You know, and, <laughs> and, and uh, it didn't like they didn't have anything, but they they 
they did become conditioned to just like go get the boo-boo pig, which was cold ice. It didn't have any uh, mechanical stimulation, but. Well, but ice has got a whole different, I mean, that's why we use both ice and vibration for a lot of things is because ice has a whole different circulatory descending and noxious inhibitory control pathway. I mean, there's, it, it certainly does work. And so, you know, it's a totally different mechanism, but, but putting the two together is, is synergistic. So yeah, boo-boo pig. Yeah, right. So, you know, um, but I love the mission and, and I'm, uh, this has been uh, one of the most uh, enjoyable uh, episodes that I've had, certainly um, in, in the modern era of the Global Medical Device Podcast with video. So <laughs> thanks for playing along. Folks, this has uh, been talking with Amy Howard, uh, the CEO and founder at Pain Care Labs. You can learn more about their products, Pain Care Labs, all one word, no hyphens, no spaces, dot com. So go check it out. And again, uh, if you're out there navigating this this medical device journey, whether you have done it a thousand times before or this is your first time, uh, Greenlight Guru, we're here to help. So go check out www.greenlight.guru to learn more about our medical device success platform. Again, we'd be happy to have a conversation with you to understand your challenges, your obstacles, uh, your frustrations through this journey. They can... Like it can get there. It's not for the faint of heart, but we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. Let us know how we can help. And if you're, you know, if you're a physician, inventor, or, or just an inventor, an entrepreneur, reach out to me. I I, I love this this stuff. I almost said other, <laughs> you know. Anyway, I love this stuff. You know, it's it's so much fun. So um, you know, I I'm a kid in a candy store when I get to talk about. Uh, you know, learn about ideas and inventions. I just think it's the coolest thing ever. So uh, I'd be happy to chat with you. But anyway, as always, uh, host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.